career. It saved a record label, and when Kiss Alive was released on September 10th, 1975, many joined the Kiss Army based on the cover photo alone. I know I did. I'm Kelly Parker. By the end of 1974, Casablanca Records was broke, and to make payroll, label president Neil Bogart cashed in his line of credit from a Las Vegas casino. The label seemed doomed. It needed a cheap hit just to survive. One of the bands on Casablanca's roster was in similarly rough shape. Kiss, a flamboyant heavy metal outfit from New York City, had released three albums by the spring of 1975. The band did have a cult following in the eastern U.S., but the moment Kiss stepped into the studio, they deflated, unable to replicate the rockin' energy of their live shows. Kiss's stage show was so over the top that Bogart pitched the band as a headline act before the band even had a legitimate hit. Queen, Genesis, and Aerosmith all canceled bookings with Kiss, because nobody wanted to follow the band. Kiss was fed up at the time. The band had received a weak $15,000 advance for its first three albums, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, and Dressed to Kill. And despite Bogart's efforts, it had yet to see any royalties at all. He'd even produced Dressed to Kill himself because he was unable to afford a professional producer. Then Neil Bogart had an idea. What if Kiss put out a live album? It'd be less expensive than a studio recording and might preserve some of the band's incendiary live show. At the time, live records weren't considered a legitimate product. Bands released them mainly to fulfill contracts, but Bogart didn't care. He knew that this was his last chance. Kiss liked the concept. Within days, Bogart had arranged to record a multi-city tour. Since he couldn't finance the tour himself, Bill O'Coin, Kiss's long-suffering manager, put $300,000 of his own money into expenses, costumes, and effects. And to oversee the recordings, Bogart roped in Eddie Kramer, the star studio engineer who'd produced albums for Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. On May 16, 1975, 12,000 people packed into Detroit's Cobo Hall, the largest venue in a city many considered the capital of rock and roll, for the first of four concerts to be recorded on the band's Dress to Kill tour, the others being Cleveland, Wildwood, New Jersey, and Davenport, Iowa, over the course of just more than two months. The album's title was an homage to the 1972 live album Slade Alive by the English band Slade, a band that had heavily influenced Kiss. Bogart and Bill O'Coin went all out on production. At the Detroit show, to fire up the crowd, a cameraman followed the band from the dressing room to the stage, projecting the shot onto a giant screen overhead. During the song 100,000 Years, flamethrowers wrapped the band in a curtain of fire. And at this show, Peter Chris's drum kit rose to twice its usual height. Everything the band usually did in its over-the-top rock and roll circus live show was done even bigger. From the opening of the album, with then-Kiss Road manager J.R. Smalling's now-traditional introduction of the band, the concerts were a massive success, but the recordings, they were still mediocre. The energy was still there, but the band's musicianship suffered because of its physical live performance. In the end, sound engineers recorded over much of the material, as explained in the Kiss Alive episode of VH1's classic albums. When you're at a concert, you're not only listening with your ears, 
you're actually listening with your eyes. And when you take that element out of it, and you're only listening to an album, you're not quite as forgiving. Yeah, we touched up what we had to do, and I think it only made it better. Most people assume it was all live. It wasn't. After the fact, you went into the studio, and sometimes you had to overdub a kick drum, or you know, if the guitar was really out of tune, you had to redo it. If a harmony was out of tune, you had to redo that mm -hmm. too. Because as much as you want to retain the integrity of what you've done live, you also don't want to diminish it by having people hear guitars drop, wrong chords, bum notes being sung. Well, there's a classic example of Paul just running around, jumping up to the microphone. He's not on mic correctly, so this would be a, a, an opportunity for us to fix this in the studio. When producer Eddie Kramer started mixing the album at New York's Electric Lady Studios in August of 75, he knew he'd captured some magical performances. But there were also troublesome glitches, like vocal mistakes on the track Black Diamond. Kramer had Paul Stanley re-record the vocals in the studio. Then he matched it seamlessly to the existing track. Perfectly sung, with a lot of strength, conviction, you know, and it really sounds like it was done on the occasion. In his 2014 book, Face the Music, A Life Exposed, Paul Stanley was a little bit more blunt, made no apologies. Quote, yes, we enhanced it, not to hide anything, not to fool anyone. But who wanted to hear a mistake repeated endlessly? Who wanted to hear an out-of-tune guitar? For what? Authenticity? Nevertheless, some core elements remain, including Peter Chris's drum tracks, Paul Stanley's stage banter, of course, that has to be in there, and the propulsive fury of early singles Deuce and Strutter, during which the band's energy soars in response to the sound of thousands of screaming fans whether it was originally conceived this way or the idea came during the re-recording and mixing of the album kiss alive didn't end up being an exact replica of the band's stage performance somewhere along the way the band and ocoin realized that the best way to capture an audience that enjoyed kiss in concert was to recreate the experience of being right in the crowd hearing kids screaming at the top of their lungs sometimes mid-song and feeling the deafening explosions that resounded throughout the venue mission accomplished. The physical record was an accomplishment of its own. A double album with a gatefold sleeve. It featured handwritten notes from the band, a glossy eight-page booklet, and a centerfold collage of in-concert photos. Alive was released on September 10, 1975. Five days later, Bill O'Coin sent Neil Bogart a letter of termination. Kiss was leaving the label. In desperation, Bogart, who'd recently mortgaged his house, cut O'Coin and the band a check for $2 million to retain them. And then everybody just sat back and watched the chart. Although Kiss is a band that many critics love to hate, they've been surprisingly kind to Alive both at the time of its release and since. Greg Prado of All Music rated the album four and a half stars out of five and stated that Alive remains Kiss's greatest album ever. Village Voice critic Robert Criscow rated the album a B-, stating that he and the, quote, multi-million kids who are buying it fall into neither category of those who regard the album as a de facto best of and those who regard it as sludge. In the new Rolling Stone album guide, the album was rated four out of five stars. It was called a non-stop Kiss Krieg of two-note guitar motifs, fake-sounding audience noise, and inspirational chit-chat. 
but it was then restated as the next best thing to being there. Jason Josephs of Pitchfork rated it 10 out of 10 and said that, quote, the album may seem like a joke, mainly because it contains every arena rock cliche in the book, but called it, quote, total sonic proof of Kiss climbing their apex. Alive peaked at number 9 on the Billboard 200 album charts and charted for 110 weeks, by far the longest in the band's history. In 2003, the album was ranked number 159 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time, maintaining the rating in a 2012 revised list. In 2006, it was placed at number 26 on Guitar World magazine's list of the 100 greatest guitar albums of all time. And in 2009, the same magazine placed it at number 3 on their list of top 10 live albums. Alive was the first album I ever bought, Soundgarden's Kim Thale told Guitar World in 1992, and I wasn't alone. You can hear their influence all over metal and punk. By the end of 1975, major rock bands from Blue Oyster Cult to REO Speedwagon suddenly found themselves opening for Kiss. Alive has sold more than 9 million copies, making it the biggest-selling Kiss album of all time. Alive rescued both Kiss and Casablanca Records from oblivion, and the band's next three albums, Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over in 1976 and Love Gun in 1977, all certified platinum. But Alive also changed the music industry. Shortly after it hit, just about every hard rock band issued live albums, said Greg Prado, writer for Rolling Stone. Some of those albums were the best live rock recordings of all time. Thin Lizzy's Live and Dangerous, The Ramones' It's Alive, Queen's Live Killers, Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same, Cheap Trick at Budokan. What makes Alive a masterpiece, though, is how it captures the essence of Kiss, a hard rock band that was meant to be seen, or at least heard, live. The emphasis on a live album is the experience itself, specifically how close the record translates and interprets the experience of actually attending the show, says author and KISS fan Chuck Klosterman. Alive jumps out of the speakers. It feels like a bootleg of the highest quality. With Alive, KISS and Bogart had created a record that could never exist in real life, part raucous energy, part polished studio overdubs, a live masterpiece better than the best live act in rock history. And now, KISS Alive is the latest inductee into the Drive Rock of Fame. I'm Kelly Parker.